So if you have your Bible uh, in front of you um, or your phone Bible app, keep it open, um, where Paul read from just a few moments ago. Um, I was reminded this week as I prepared for this morning and for this moment in Joshua chapter 3, I was reminded of um, the book of Numbers, which recalls like a tale of two generations of God's people, two generations of Israel. There's one generation that consistently break faith with God. And then there's the tale or the story of an emerging generation of God's people um, who actually trust God and walk in faithfulness um, to him and with him. And so there's the the faith-breaking Exodus generation who die in the wilderness. And then there is the next generation who stand on the edge of the promised land. Um, They are Yahweh trusting, they are God trusting, and they get to enter the promised land as Joshua leads them. It's incredible because the Exodus generation, they had witnessed God's wonders in Egypt. They had seen God part the Red Sea in front of them. Imagine you had been there. They had seen that miraculous move of God. Imagine when the waters part and you get to pass through on dry ground, God rescuing you from slavery in Egypt. They got to see that. And yet their lack of faith would hinder them from entering the promised land. They return to the wilderness and they wander for 40 years, a journey that should have taken them two weeks. Um, And they wander for 40 years around the wilderness. And then there's the next generation, the emerging generation of God's people. And that includes the children and probably the grandchildren of the, the wilderness wandering Exodus generation. And this new generation, this emerging generation, they had learned from their parents' failures and lack of faithfulness. And they proved themselves to be faithful to God. Unlike their stiff-necked parents, they trust God. And they decide in their hearts that they're going to live in obedience to him. They're eager to follow him and his ways. They're swift to repent. And they're quick to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. They're keen to follow the ways of the Lord. And they experience the promised land. And they get to experience and know the blessing of God um, in their day. Well, here in the opening chapters of Joshua, Joshua is compared with Moses his predecessor. And there are loads of similarities, actually, between Moses and Joshua. Um, There are lots of similarities between the account of Moses leading the people of God um, out of slavery in Egypt and through the Red Sea. Um, Similarities with Joshua as he leads the people of God through the Jordan River as the, the waters part, and we'll come to that in a moment or two. Joshua sends spies into Canaan just before the passage that we read this morning. Moses did the same way back in his day. Joshua commands the tribes of Israel as Moses did. Joshua had the same spirit of wisdom, the scriptures tell us, as Moses did. The day that Joshua leads the people across the Jordan corresponds to the day that Moses led the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt. But here's the important thing. Joshua didn't simply do what Moses did. Joshua went where Moses couldn't. Joshua didn't simply do what Moses did. Joshua was able to go and lead a people where Moses didn't and couldn't. 
You see, Moses did not enter the promised land because of a moment of disobedience. But Joshua is granted permission to lead the people through the waters and into the promised land. It's a beautiful moment. Joshua had been the gifted assistant of Moses, but now it was time for Joshua to lead the people. The people needed to see that this was the leader of God's people, that he was going to lead them through the waters and into Canaan, into the abundance of God's blessing and provision for them. You know, I do wonder what God is going to do in the days and the months and the years that are in front of us. I am a pondering kind of person. I think about these things. I often pause and think, Lord, what have you got in front of us? What are the days going to be like ahead of us? Where are you leading us, God? As the eyes of my heart search the heart of God and the plans and the purposes of God, I ask that question, God, what have you got in front of us? What is it that lies before us in the weeks and the months and the years ahead? I wonder what land lies before us as a church, as a community, for you as an individual and in your family. I wonder what land lies in front of you. I wonder what God might have in store for you. I wonder what blessings, what fresh rain. We're going to start to think about that next week. I wonder what blessings from heaven God might just shower upon us and upon the community around us. Should we be a Joshua generation? Should we be a Joshua generation? You see, this tale of two, two generations makes me really defiant on one hand. So it makes me um, kind of want to shout out, you know, I don't want to be a disbelieving, spiritually passive generation, God. I don't want to be like that. I don't want to have a stiff neck and a hard heart when it comes to your plans and purposes for my life and for the community of people that I help to serve and lead among. I don't want to be like that. Lord, spare us from that. Remove apathy from among us. Lord, put a passion within our hearts. So it makes me really defiant on the one hand, and then it makes me really hungry on the other hand. Makes me want to say, God, I want to be among a people and a place. I want you to help me lead among a people who are hungry to enter into all that you have for us. A people who seek first your kingdom and your righteousness and hunger for that and thirst for that. That you would lead us as a people into the abundance of your promises for us. And so church family this morning, I think this is a hinge point in the series that we're in. I've been praying about this. I believe this is a hinge point moment, a pivotal point, not only in the story of God's people that we see in Joshua chapter three, but perhaps in your life too. Perhaps in your heart, in your family, perhaps within the life of this church. You see, the future of God's people lies in the balance in Joshua chapter three. The 12 tribes of Israel approach the promised land after four decades, imagine. After four decades of wandering in the wilderness, the 40 years is up. The 40 years is up. They arrive at the edge of the Jordan River, no doubt the sound of rushing water filling their ears. They arrive at the edge of the Jordan River. Can you sense that in your mind's eye? Can you picture this moment? 
Just picture this moment in your mind's eye. And as they stand on the edge of, of, of Canaan, as they stand on the banks of the river Jordan, fresh faith is called for. Fresh faith. A new dawn beckons the people of God. A fresh season of God's presence and goodness awaits them as they stand on the banks of the River Jordan. It's a really pivotal moment. This pivotal moment could be summarized like this, and I think I've got this quote on the screen. If we can fire this up. A holy God leads his consecrated people across the last natural barrier with a great miracle and a memorial for future generations. So let's break this down, okay? Let's break this down. A holy God, a holy God. We've been reminding ourselves over the last three weeks that God is holy, holy, holy. We worship and serve a God who is perfectly loving and gracious and good, and we thank him for all of that. But remember, whenever Isaiah gets to, to, to see in behind uh, heaven's curtain the cry and the song that he hears is holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The earth is filled with his glory. There's no one holy like the Lord. And so at the edge of the Jordan River, we read that Joshua and the Israelites are, are to move out Whenever they see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord their God, you see the Ark was that special gold-covered box that contained the Ten Commandments. And the Ark of the Covenant represented among the people of God the holy presence of the Lord. And so they were to wait for the Ark to move. In other words, they were to wait for the presence of God to go before them and to go with them. And when they saw that God was moving, the Ark was moving, they were to get up and move. You see, as the people of God, it's the presence of God that, that we follow that goes with us. We follow his lead. It's the holy presence of God that would lead his people into the promised land. He is a holy God and he leads us. He leads us by his holy presence and he leads us into his holy presence. Okay, are you with me? Very quiet this morning. Are, are you with me, yeah? Yeah, okay. Good. You're, you're with me. Keep following along, okay? So the next thing that we see in this pivotal moment is a consecrated people. We've got a, a holy God. Then we see this moment of great consecration. Look at verse 5. Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. I read this week, I was getting books out to kind of study this moment um, in Joshua chapter 3. Like a minister does, you go to the bookshelves and you pull out the commentaries, the dusty ones too, and you, you get them open and you have a look and see what, um, what others have said about this moment. And I opened up one book and there was a chapter in that book that was entitled Crossing Over, Six Principles of Crossing Over, Joshua chapter 3. And I thought, here it is. This is it. This could be the sermon this week. No, I would never do that, by the way. I've never just, no. I thought, this is good. Okay, what's this guy going to say about crossing over? What are the six principles? The chapter discussed like lots of key principles that, that we need to you know, build into our lives if we're going to cross over and experience the blessing of God. He had all these kind of quirky things in there, all these great little leadership lessons and all, but there was absolutely zero mention of verse 5. 
I was flabbergasted. Now, I'm not putting myself on a pedestal or thinking I'm holier than anybody else, but I, I couldn't believe it. Searching through the chapter, where is it? Where's verse five? Surely this is the biggest moment in this passage, the greatest principle that anyone could see in Joshua chapter three, that on the edge of a new season, Joshua would tell the people of God, consecrate yourselves. Consecrate yourselves because tomorrow the Lord is going to do amazing things among you. Are you still with me? Good. So what does it mean to consecrate yourself before the Lord? I thought that would be a good thing to think about this morning. What does it mean to consecrate ourselves before the Lord? Well, I think it means at least four things. It means pursuing purity and holiness. That's what we've been talking about over these last few weeks. Understanding that as God's people, we are set apart. We're set apart by him and for him. But we're not just set apart and left apart, you know, just separate from the world. God has set us apart for his purposes. He wants us to consecrate ourselves before him, to come before him, to pursue holiness and purity because he sets us apart for his purposes in this world to make him known. Secondly, I think consecration looks like dedicating ourselves afresh in God's presence for the purposes that he has for us. We dedicate ourselves daily before the Lord. Consecration will mean bringing ourselves back to the reality of our special relationship with God. You see, moments of consecration in the presence of God ought to remind us that we are saints. We are already set apart. Jesus has given himself for us. And if you're a Christian and you have trusted in him, you are already in him, already set apart. In many ways, you already have experienced a definitive consecration in your life. God has put his hand on you. He has rescued and redeemed you. He has set you apart for his purposes. And so in moments of consecration, we're brought back to the reality of our special relationship with God. And in those moments, it's absolutely beautiful. Our hearts are warmed again at all that Jesus has done for us. But there's more to it because consecration, I discovered this week, also carries a sense of composing our minds and our hearts in line with God's in order that we might hear and obey his voice. And I believe this is really, really important this morning and really, really important for some of you. You see, if we consecrate ourselves before God in those first three kind of ways, if we do that, I believe we'll discover that moments of consecration become moments of composure. And I don't know about you, but life can feel really, really like rocky at times. The ground beneath us shakes. Our faith is tested. We can feel like all around us is shaking and sometimes crumbling, if we're honest. Well, moments of consecration become, I believe, moments of composure where our hearts and our minds are steadied in the presence of God. Life all around us might be shaken, but it's his presence that composes us and steadies us. 
Maybe you need to know that again this morning. Maybe God is calling you back to moments where you come and you withdraw to be with him and you find that your heart and your mind is steadied in his presence. In those moments, we're reminded that as the people of God, we actually have faith as an anchor for our soul. How good is that? That in a world where everything sways around us, we have faith as an anchor for our soul. And I don't think we realize just how deep the anchor goes. We don't realize how long the chain is on the anchor and how deep the anchor goes. And maybe you realize that this morning as you, as you hear those words, God has been your anchor. Your faith has been an anchor for your soul. You're here today because of that. And we thank God for it. And so if you're taking notes this morning, you know, maybe take those points down. I actually prayed through this this morning and it did my heart good. Um, or if you want, go back later on, pause it on the screen and you can take it down then. So on the edge of, of a new tomorrow, the people of Israel, are you still with me? Good. On the edge of a new tomorrow, the people of Israel are told to consecrate themselves before the Lord. Why? What's God going to do tomorrow? God is going to do amazing things. God is going to do amazing things. Our part is to consecrate ourselves daily in his presence. What's God's part? God's part is to do amazing things. God's part is to do amazing things. Who wants God to do amazing things among us? That's only 50% of it. <laughs> I am really, really worried. We want God to do amazing things among us. And so what we see is a holy God, a consecrated people, and what follows next is a great miracle. A great miracle. The priests carry the ark into the river ahead of the people. This is the amazing thing that God spoke about and the people were now consecrated to the Lord. The river was at flood stage, by the way. This is not a trickle in front of them that they could step over. Apparently, the River Jordan today looks nothing like what it did back then. The river would have been a torrent in front of them. It was in full flood stage. But as soon as the priest's feet touched the water's edge, we read that the water upstream stopped flowing and it piled up in a heap. I mean, can you picture that? In your mind's eye, imagine the water piles up in a heap some distance away and a highway through the Jordan is opened up as the priests stop with the Ark of the Covenant in the middle of the river. And we read that all of Israel, every single person crossed over on dry ground. Miracle. A wonderful, wonderful miracle. Sometimes we read these things and we just think it's like a fairy tale. This is no fairy tale. This happened. The waters piled up and the people of God, every single one of them, went through on dry ground and into the promised land that God had for them. Forty years of wandering. Then this great moment of consecration among a generation who were eager to seek God first. And it leads them to participating in the greatest of miracles. Just think about that. They participated in the greatest of miracles. The final thing that we see is this memorial or reminder for future generations. 
in chapter 4, um, we see that, that Joshua announces that 12 men, one from each tribe, are to take a stone from the middle of the Jordan River bed and they're to carry them to the camp to be laid down as a memorial or a reminder for the generations to come. And this is really, really significant because God had acted in an amazing way. And it's not just for this moment. It's for the generations that are to come. Listen to chapter 14. This is what it says in verse 21 to 24. Joshua says to the Israelites, in the future when your descendants ask their parents, what do these stones mean? Tell them, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. The Lord your God did to the Jordan what he had done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before us until we had crossed over. He did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord your God. Carmony Church family, this is my heart for us that we would be a people consecrated before our holy God and that in our todays and in our tomorrows, we would see God do amazing things among us. That will cause, not just for our own good, but amazing things that will call our, uh, cause our children and our children's children and the generations to come to talk about those things. Dad, tell me what happened in those days. Tell me about the amazing things that God was doing among you as a church. I want to I hear those things. In fact, I want to be a part of that. This is my heart for us, that we would see God at work for the generations, not just right now, but for the generations to come. And thank God he has been doing that in this place in the past. Generations of people impacted by what God has done in and through this place and the people who worship God here. And so in a moment, I'm going to give us an opportunity to consecrate ourselves again before the Lord. But first, I just feel there's a question that we need to ask, like, God, what are the stones that we're going to lift up out of the water? What, what stone am I going to lift up and set before the generations to come? Is it going to be the stone of faithfulness? It's going to be the stone of, of passionate worship of the Lord. Is it going to be the stone of my, my, my service for him? The stone of me giving myself for the sake of, of the community around us? Is it going to be the stone of, of my all-in commitment to Christ and his kingdom work in and through this church family? You see, this fresh move of the Spirit of God that we so desire among us is not just for us today. It's for the generations to come. You young people in the room, you know I love to speak to you and you're, some of you are here right now. And again, some of you who are just young at heart are really pricking up when I say young people and that, that is you. You can listen to this. This is for all of us. But you young people, can you see and hear what God is saying to us? Are you listening to this? You younger people, our heart is for you. Our heart is for the generations to come. 
What we do now and how we worship God now and how we serve him is not just for our own good. It's for the generations to come. We want to build a platform for you to worship God, to lead other people in and through this place for the glory of God. So you listen up, you young people. This is for you. This is for the generations. You parents and grandparents in the room, lead the way. Lead the way for the generations to come. What does that look like? It looks like consecrating yourself before the Lord every day, putting your face to the face of the Father, seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness for you and for your family. If we don't do it as parents and grandparents, who's going to do it for us and for our families? Leaders among us, anyone who leads in any way in the life of this church, let's walk into the river of faith first. Let's step into the waters of consecration. Let's do it on behalf of the people here. On behalf of those who feel too weak to do that, let's step forward into the waters of faith with a new desire for holiness in our lives, a new level of commitment to Christ and to his church. And so as we close, I believe that for some people, this is an edge of the Jordan moment for you. A crossing the waters of faith moment for you. Maybe you're here or listening in online. And by the way, welcome to everyone who joins with us online. I always forget the welcome folk online. You're so welcome. But maybe you're listening into this and this is for you. Maybe you're going to trust in Christ for the first time. Or maybe you're going to set your heart to seeking first his kingdom like never before. This is an edge of the Jordan moment. Let me invite the worship team forward, Esther and the team. And can you just stand with me? Let's stand together as a church family. So in many ways, this is just a very ordinary moment on a Sunday morning in church. But perhaps in the ordinariness of this moment, God might do something extraordinary in your life. In a moment, I'm going to pray a prayer of consecration using words from the old hymn. Um, the old hymn, Take My Life and Let It Be. Not going to sing it. I'm certainly not going to sing it. But if you want to consecrate yourself again with me this morning, then let me ask you to do one of two things. You can, um, you can just open your hands in front of you as I pray this, the words of this song of consecration. You can place your hands out in front of you as a, as a sign of, of you stepping into those waters of faith on the edge of the Jordan and saying, Lord, I want you to do amazing things in and through my life and my family, but first I consecrate myself before you today and into the days to come. That's one thing you can do, or if you want to be really brave and bold, and I'm, you can do this if you want. You can come forward and just kneel at the front as we pray this um, over you and over all those who are stepping into this moment of consecration. So let's just pause and bow before the Lord. And in the silence, as we stand on what could very well be the edge of of a Jordan River moment.
as we recognize that our holy God is here. That he has amazing things to do in and through you and in and through us as a church family. Just place your hands in front of you or you can come and kneel at the front if you wish. But let me pray these words of consecration. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Take my moments and my days. Let them flow in endless praise. Take my hands and let them move at the impulse of thy love. Take my feet and let them be swift and beautiful for thee. Take my voice and let me sing always only for my king. Take my lips and let them be filled with messages from thee. Take my silver and my gold, not a mite would I withhold. Take my intellect and use every power as thou shalt choose. Take my will and make it thine, it shall no longer be mine. Take my heart, it is thine own, it shall be thy royal throne. Take my love, my Lord, I pour at thy feet its treasure store. Take myself, and O oh God, I will be ever only all for thee. And so, Lord, here we are in this moment before we worship you in song. Take our lives, our moments, our hands and our feet. Take our voice and our lips, our silver and our gold. Take our will and our hearts, our love, our whole self today and forever, ever only all for thee. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.